Again, welcome if you joined us a bit late or whatever. We, we love having new people around, visitors, and if you're heading back to a different church somewhere else, take, take love from here. If you're trying us out, then um, stick around, because good things are going on and feel slightly nervous this morning, uh, just because there's such a sense of, of life at the moment. You've probably hit us if you are new at, a, at what feels like quite a significant time in the life of the church. It's always dangerous to generalize, but it feels like God's really stirring something. He's kind of cutting through some of our comfort and some of our complacency where we are uh, with a holy disconnect content, and that's really, really good, and we need to welcome that. It's a bit uncomfortable by definition. Uh, and our big prayer has been, move, Lord, move, Lord, over this season. Um, and so uh, let's continue to pray that. There's this, the, the series on the, uh, on, on the screen there, God moves where he's wanted. I'm going to try and speak into that um, this morning, and I was reading about a big long list of, of revivals and things. Actually, I thought I'd pick one which uh, was unfamiliar to me. Exactly 50 years ago, 1974. Can you imagine yourself living in Almalonga? Need to get the name right. Almalonga, Guatemala, Central uh, America. A population of 20,000 in that town, very uh, poor, um, drug infested, alcohol fueled, the jails were full. Real sense of uh, depression, oppression over the, over the city, spiritually very dark place, um, four prisons, awful, minimal education, women very oppressed as second-class citizens, that kind of thing. The main religion was the worship of a Mayan deity called Maximon. Very tiny number of Jesus followers in that, in that place. Uh, who had a very hard time. Every time they tried to take a stand, they get persecuted. In fact, locals would come into the, the little church building they had and practice their witchcraft and rituals right in the middle of, of services and things. So a real tough place. And one day the pastor, a guy called Pastor Mariano, uh, was attacked by six men. I'll, I'll spare you some of the more gory details, but they put a gun in his mouth, they fired it three times, and it didn't go off. And they fled, feeling, gosh, yeah, what's going on here? And him, rather than being terrified by that and shrinking away, found, by the grace of God, to, to, to courage to step into that. He gathered this tiny little band, and they seriously began to pray in earnest for their, their town and their community um, to break, for God to break the cycle of evil and idol worship and poverty and everything. And they were convinced that the Holy Spirit had given them what we would call gifts of faith, to kind of believe that the things that they were praying for, as the, that God was stirring up, would come to pass. So they prayed with real conviction and, and, and with increase, and they started fasting. Hello, we've been in a period of, of fasting, and for some that's becoming a regular practice. They met every Saturday to pray. And slowly by slowly, people around just began to um, experience the, the, the love and the conviction of the Holy Spirit and the conviction of their sin. Eyes got open to the truth, and they began slowly by slowly to come to faith. And supernatural signs increased in partnership with this, uh, especially in terms of physical healings and especially in terms of uh, people being released from under uh, demonic oppressions of, of different sorts. And there was an occult priest called Jose Albino. He came to faith. That was a significant moment. He took all of his witchcraft stuff and burned them publicly, and that had quite a big sort of influence and was, was noticed around the place. There was a paralyzed woman who'd been paralyzed for a while. She was on the verge of death. She was healed miraculously. She began to drink and eat and walk again. And so her whole family surrendered to, to, to Jesus. And over a short number of weeks then, the spiritual 
darkness over this place just began to lift and, lift and dissipate. But like the, the fog we were talking about earlier, we'll pray into that later, um, over the city. And almost nobody was untouched in the end by the power and the love of God. And get this in terms of the stats. This is a town of 20,000 people then and now. Population stayed the same. 24 new churches opened in a very short space of time. 80% of residents, four in five people, then consider themselves within a short period to be born again followers of Jesus. Local agriculture, which was the main industry, boomed. And where previously they were exporting just four truckloads of, of fruit and veg, many veg, sorry, uh, a month, 40 truckloads were, were then being exported to that, that uh, throughout the region. The 36 bars in the town were reduced to three. All four jails closed, and in 1989, that's 25 years later, no, sorry, 15 years later, one of them was turned into a community venue for weddings, quite like that. Two Christian radio stations were started. The brothel closed. Divorce rate went to zero. Literacy levels rose. Women were no longer um, second class. They're treated on, valued on an equal footing with men. And Alma Longa became, and still is, which I find really joyful, 50 years on, one of the cleanest and most prosperous towns in the whole of Guatemala. And even, even cynical old Wikipedia, I mean, get this, says, if you look it up, you can check it out, Almalonga is known now as the vegetable basket of the Americas. Quote, an evangelical church formed there in the 1970s that gave the town valuable infrastructure, which allowed them to harvest crops more successfully. <laughs> 20,000, here's a picture on the screen of 15,000 out of a population of 20,000 worshipping on the streets in 1998, so that is 25 years later. And there's still going, 25 churches in that town uh, right now. Today is the, is the final message then in this series of God moves where he's wanted. And we've been thinking about the way that God sets things up so relationally that although, of course, he could do what he wants, whenever he wants and how he likes, he chooses to partner with us. I mean, we don't really know why and we sometimes wonder about that. God, were you sensible to do that? But he does. And so our hunger in return, the wanted bit, has a bearing on what actually happens. We've got to get that, how stuff gets done in the world, he wants to do in partnership with us. So our level of hunger for him, our level of desire for more of his transforming activity in us and around us, obviously, that has a big bearing on what then happens. God moves where he's wanted. We thought about that in relation, first of all, to our hearts and the inner place. It's where it needs to start in us personally. How welcome is God in those deep places to do his transforming work? We've thought about it in our homes, our households. What does that look like to, to see God, to pray for God to move and to welcome him more into the way that we parent our children or grandparent our children for many in the room or, or, or those within our, our household, those who are closest to us in friendships, in recreation, in hospitality and so on? What is that? We've been thinking about that. We've been thinking last week about our church. Are you wanted in our church, Lord? Us, collectively, not just a bunch of individuals, but Trinity family together as a local expression, that Jesus will be more desired here than anything or anyone. We've been singing about it again this morning, and Andrew spoke last week powerfully about, about this rising intimacy, the sense of wanting to be further connected with the heart of God, from which then everything else flows, from which, out of which, you know, any programs that we run or activities that we do or ministries, we want them to flow from that place, collectively, of connectedness with the Lord, and the Lord is moving. So finally today then, uh, further afield as it were, what would it look like for God to move in the town, in the region, in the nation even? What would a fresh move of the Holy Spirit look like across Fairview or Cheltenham or Gloucestershire or, or England? So we're going to dream big and I know it's challenging and you know, the stories of Alma Longa can feel a bit distant from our own experience, but God, would you bless us to, to, to have faith to keep praying in that way? 
And whether we choose to use the revival word or not, and I know there's you know, the connotations around that word, when will the next Wikipedia have to entry have to say, in those days there was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit of God across you know, the west of England or Cheltenham or Gloucestershire or whatever, and these kinds of things happened? Is that just a pipe dream, just wish, fanciful thinking, or can we engage faithful vision around that? And people coming to faith in, in Jesus in large numbers, and churches filling up, and mental health uh, improving, and marriages thriving, and divorce rates dropping, and cancer rates falling in the town, and crime rates going down, and families growing healthy and strong, and businesses becoming more ethical and flourishing. Allow your imaginations to flow, friends, and creativity booming, and prisons emptying, and the natural environment and living conditions getting better and better. That will be a picture of a, on a mass scale of a, of a move of the Holy Spirit of God across a, a wider area than just individuals or families or churches, and we yearn for that. God, you've done it before. Would you do it again? By the way, I did some revival history research. I encourage you to do it. There's a brilliant website. It lists every revival that has ever been with about a one-page summary of each. It's phenomenal. So encouraging to read. Oh, my goodness. I never knew there were so many. And let's state the really obvious point that every single move of God is a move of God. That's where it starts. It's a move of God. Men and women didn't make it happen, couldn't make it happen. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. But, so I was reading some research. There was an article that was listing all the common factors to these kinds of moves of God. Consistent throughout all of them. There's a little list of them. The top of top is divine sovereignty. God initiates, God chooses, he moves where he will. And, and he does his, his, his sovereign thing. And, and on the list lower down, of course, there's activity involved. Please hear me carefully this morning. Of course, there's proclamation of the gospel. There's demonstration. There's the gifts of the Spirit on display. There's obedience to the word of God. Repentance is always a feature of, of almost every uh, move of God. But on the human end of things, as well as all of those things which are more action-oriented, number two in the list, beneath the sovereignty of God, he says, all revival literature, every study of revival emphasizes the prime significance of united, earnest, repentant prayer in preparing the way for revival and sustaining it. Quote, in every single move of God, the essential part played by God's people is to pray. Now, I don't know how you feel about, oh no, here comes a message on prayer. Because I've, I've learned as a pastor three ways I can make you feel very guilty. How's your prayer life? Do you read your Bible enough? And how's your witness to other people? And we all go, oh, I wish it was better. Ditch, ditch that. Ditch the comparison. Ditch the, the worm-like feelings. We are the people of God. We're called to pray. And um, just want us to think about that a bit. Every move of the Spirit, every outpouring of the Spirit begins on our end of things with someone, some people who are moved by the Holy Spirit to get on their knees and, and to pray and seek, seek more of his kingdom. 2 Chronicles 7.14, let's launch with this. If my people, is that you, who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven, will forgive their sin and heal their land. One of the ancient prayers was in Solomon's day. Pick any story, frankly, of the Lord moving powerfully from beginning to end that you know. Any story, more or less, from the, from the scriptures. The exodus coming out of Egypt, the conquest of Canaan, the establishing of the, the worshipping community in, in Jerusalem, the, uh, the, the return of the exiles, Pentecost, obviously, and beyond. And then pick any of the, the, the judges or the, the, the leaders or the kings or the influential people in, in God's kingdoms at those times. Think Joshua, think Gideon, think Hezekiah, think Daniel, think Josiah, think Gideon, think Deborah. 
people who led in times of victory, led into victory and to, into widespread God moving in a way that transforms more than just a little thing. And you will find at the root of all of those stories, somebody was praying. Some people were praying. There was a, a prayer movement going on. The mighty oaks of victory start with the small seeds of prayer. A couple of scriptures just to anchor us. Hezekiah, 2 Kings 19. Love this one. You know, the, the, the culture's under threat. The whole nation's under threat. He's the king. He gets the message. He gets this letter. And then he went up to the temple of the Lord and he spread it out before the Lord. First thing that he did, rather than summoning the army or making a plan, he spreads it out before the Lord. And starts, Lord, you're the God of Israel. You're enthroned in the cherubim. You alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. And you've made heaven and earth. Give ear, Lord. Hear, open your eyes. See, listen, the words that sent his, the enemy Sennacherib has sent to ridicule you, Lord. Not just us, to ridicule you because we're your people, your land. And now, Lord, deliver us from his hand so that all the kingdoms of the earth may see that you're God. Beautiful, starting in prayer, laying it all out. God, move, this is what he's saying. Move on a big scale. We're under threat. We want to see your kingdom flourish. Would you move? How about in the New Testament? One of my favorite prayers, one of our favorite prayers here, Acts 4. Peter and John, they've begun to get going, the disciples, haven't they? Uh, they, they, they can't stop preaching. They, they, they refuse they, to, to back down. And even when they're in trouble, they, you know, they get hauled over the coals by the authorities. They go back to the tribe. What are the tribe doing? They're praying. And they join in the prayer meeting. And they end it by saying, consider their threat, not stop their threats. We don't care about the opposition, but just enable us to speak your word with, with more boldness. And Lord, stretch out your hand, your hand, to heal, perform signs, wonders through Jesus. And after they prayed, the whole place erupted. As you know, you know the story. Wouldn't we love more prayer meetings like that? And what's, what's the prayer? God, move. It's the same prayer that we're praying. It's Hezekiah praying it, praying it in Acts. We're praying it now. God, move. And move now on a, on a wide scale, move on a, a big scale. That's what we're, we're thinking about. Maybe it's a little bit beyond our imaginations. Well, we need the Lord to, I, I think, to, to move on our, on our imaginations that we might picture what that would be again. I've got some suggestions about how we do that in a minute. Here's John Bunyan from a few centuries ago. You can do more than pray. And actually, we need to do more than pray because you know, we need to act as well. But that's after you've prayed. You cannot do more than pray until you've prayed. I mean, take a photo of that slide, friends. Really, I was just when I saw that this week, yeah. Beautiful. Uh, another old saint called E.M. Bounds. You know that they're old when you get their initials. E.M. Bounds, like A.W. Tozer. No idea what A.W. stood for, but E.M. Bounds says this. What the church needs most today and every day is not more machinery or better organization or new methods and programs, but men and women whom the Holy Spirit of God fills and can use. Men and women of prayer. Mighty in prayer, he says. So just a few headlines um, to encourage us, exhort us, and, and um, you know, gee us up. God moves where he's wanted. So I've got motivation will be the first. We need to pray with motivation. And this is massive, isn't it? Just to say it like that. Oh, my goodness. Where do you get motivation from? Am I motivated? But we've got to be okay about checking our levels of motivation. How much do I want this? How much am I moved by the plight of the world around me or parts of it? What motivates me? And if we want something, we say it often, if you want something enough, you are prepared to pay a cost to go after it to push down some obstacles to get it. I've got to be okay 
about asking myself those questions, inviting the Spirit into that conversation. Peter and John said, we cannot help but speak, speaking of what we've seen and heard. We can't help it. We're going to push, you can put us in prison, you can whip us and flog us and whatever. But they were motivated by a passion that they couldn't quench, a holy fire to demonstrate and proclaim uh, the gospel of Jesus. So, without making us feel like worms, does that describe something of how I pray? How I pray for others beyond just me and my circle? Friends, I'm going to share, and I think it might be true of you too. I know that I'm not in a great place spiritually if my prayer life has shrunk to me and my needs. Nothing wrong with praying about me and my needs. The Father welcomes it. But if my entire prayer life is about me and my needs then something's gone wrong there. Something's shrunk, hasn't it, to, to, to a small size. And sure, there might, the next circle outbeat might, might be my wife and my family and those who are close and stuff going on in life group and all of those really, really important things. But I want to ask myself, what does my current prayer life tell me about how much I want to move, how, how much I want God to move in my street or in my place of work, please, Lord, or in my... Um, <laughs> You, you got that. Um, or, uh, or, or my community, or my, or, or my gym, or the town, or the nation. What does my prayer life say about my level of desire for that, my motivation? You've just got to be honest, haven't we? You can't just you know, click your fingers and get motivated. You can't just say, oh, suddenly I'm motivated. No, it's more subtle than that. At the very least, we can ask for that, can't we? Uh, Spurgeon, you know about him, uh, 19th century. He was often asked, what's the secret of ministry? He said, it's not a secret and it's not my ministry. And he would take people downstairs uh, when he was doing these massive um, rallies and people were coming to faith in their hundreds. And downstairs was what he called the boiler room. And there were a hundred saints who had committed themselves whenever he spoke to praying in the basement of his church for what was going on. And he said, no prayer, no power. No prayer, no power. No prayer, no power. I might want to say little prayer, little power. Big prayer, more power. It's not a formula, but it's biblical. Uh, 90, uh, 1857, around about the same time as Spurgeon, actually, you've heard this story. Jeremiah Lamphere in New York he was motivated by what? By the decay that he saw around him. New York was in a terrible mess, a bit like Alma Longa, actually. You know, drunkenness and poverty and things were just awful in, in the 1850s in, in New York. He was motivated about that. He, he started a prayer meeting. It was on September the 23rd, 1857. And for the first 30 minutes, he was the only person in the room. And then four people joined. And then uh, by 1 p.m., there were... Uh, more than that. And then next week there were 20, and the next week there were more. And God was doing something, and they kept persisting. And it wasn't that long. In fact, by March the following year, most of the churches in New York, at, this is at lunchtime, were full of people praying. Over 10,000 people. Somebody recorded it. Over 10,000 people. In the next two years, one million people came to faith in New York. It's one of the great revivals. Where did it start? A man who was motivated by what he saw around him. Oh, no, God needs to do something about that. God, would you move where you're wanted? You're wanted here. Friends, how are we doing with our motivation? Doesn't need to be the whole of the UK. I, I can't think kind of whole UK. But God has already put stuff on our hearts there, hasn't he? And if he hasn't, how about praying that he would? And we don't all share the same burdens, but we'll, we'll have them. Is it for the homeless in, in the town? Is it for those who are mentally unwell? Is it around the issue of abortion? Is it around the issue of uh, policies in schools that are ungodly and unkingdom that we might want to do something about and pray? Is it lonely people? Epidemic of loneliness in a, in a super connected age, but loneliness only seems to go up. Is it refugees? Is it stuff around sexual identity? 
Is it around broken families, etc., etc.? What's on your heart? What's there already? I want to say. And how about then being practical? Ask the Lord to connect you with some others who share that. And how about you get going like Jeremiah Lanfear did? And you begin in prayer if you've not already. I know, you know, I'm not suggesting we're not praying. We are praying about these things. How about getting together? There's value. When I'm, when I'm not that hungry, one of the first things I want to do is hang around other hungry people. It's infectious. I can't borrow their faith, but I can certainly be infected by their hunger. Just being really practical. Um, as a family, one of the ways that we pray, because I, I need support by myself, I'll just sort of fizzle out. Because uh, of what, praise God for WhatsApp. As a family, we're, we're a praying bunch, and we, we quite often have 30-day periods where we go, right, for the next 30 days, we're just going to pray for this. And one member of the family will record something on the WhatsApp um, family group, a prayer, and we all just add our amen, and we do that for, for 30 days. I find that so helpful. Because it's with some others, and we're gunning for things in the same direction, and it G's me up, and we're praying for stuff. By the way, without oversharing, thank you for praying for us in the night of Hill's dad dying. The funeral was on Tuesday, uh, and as I reported here in Hill's too, uh, he made his peace with the Lord before he died. We were remembering that one of our 30-day periods in, in the autumn was, was for him. We just say, Lord, soften his heart so that something would, would land. Grow our hearts, Lord, for your kingdom to break in in any of those areas. Um, Lord, more fuel on the discomfort, identifying the discomfort. It's painful to see stuff that we, is broken, and, you know, but we've got to ask the Lord to pour fuel on that pain, that holy discomfort, not take it away, the opposite, because it's motivating. I won't be as long with, with the next ones, but inspiration is next. We need to pray with inspiration. This is beautiful because to inspire literally means to breathe in. And this is this gorgeous reminder that actually the Holy Spirit helps us. We're not alone in this. We're with each other, but especially it's the Holy Spirit who helps us to pray. The Bible even says that, that the Holy Spirit will intercede in groans and utterings beyond human intelligence, Romans 8, I think. He inspires us in our prayers, literally. In our culture, somebody wrote, a petition is something that you sign as a citizen of the United Kingdom in order to persuade a reluctant government to change its, its mind. Bible petition is made as a citizen of God's kingdom, as a child of the king, in order to ask a willing government, i.e. God, to fulfill his purposes. Quite like that. I added to it in, in my head, a secular petition is signed in my name. A Bible one is made in Jesus' name, which isn't a mag magic formula. But it means asking stuff that is aligned with his promises, his will, his character, his words, wanting what he wants. That's the condition attached to that extraordinary promise. Anything you ask in my name, I'll do. So there's an alignment, there's a partnering, which is so amazing. It's not something, prayer isn't something we do to God. It's something we do with God, actually. And here's, so here's Hezekiah. Faced with this massive problem, what does he do? He spreads it all out before the Lord. Reminds himself aloud about God's character. Roosevelt, F.D. Roosevelt, um, in the uh, American president of the Second World War, he gave a speech to the whole nation uh, just as D-Day was beginning in June 1944. And the whole speech took the form of, of a prayer. Can you imagine that in our day? How about that? He did the same as Hezekiah. Kind of bold, courageous, faith-inspiring call for the whole nation to make prayer the first resort, not the thing you do when you've tried every other option. Every morning, every evening, he said, and to trust God. And he ended his speech, and may your kingdom come, God, and may your will be done. Inspired. 
breathing in the Holy Spirit. Karl Barth, theologian, to clasp your hands in prayer is the beginning of an uprising against the disorder of the world. He went on to say, be careful that you don't say, let your kingdom come too easily. There was a Dutch prime minister 100 years ago, Abraham Kuyper. There is not a square inch of domain of our human existence over which Jesus, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, it is mine. So let's confidently, persistently welcome him into every square inch of domain of that human existence. And wherever we see the tyranny of enemy occupation at work, Grab a hold of a bit of tyranny in your mind right now. Wherever we see the tyranny of the enemy in, in all those kinds of dysfunctions I've mentioned around us, let's pray, Jesus, your kingdom come instead. Inspiration. Perspiration will be the next. Quite brief on this, because actually I, I think over the last decade or so, I think in, in our part of the church, we've, we've got a bit better at avoiding the two pitfalls of, on the one hand, it's all about hard work, hard work, hard work, religious duty, my religious parrot, pray more, you know, work really hard, be obedient, you know, etc. kind of slightly ignoring the help of the Holy Spirit in the partnering in prayer. And then there's been the swing to that thing that supposedly is grace, which means, hey, God loves me as I am anyway, so I don't really need to work too hard. I can if I choose, but it doesn't really matter because I'm loved, and so that's fine. And I think there's been a a beautiful coming together. I I think I see that, and we need to hold what are not two separate things. Grace and hard work are not opposites. They work together. Paul says that, and the Bible's really clear about that. But there's hard work, and we, we, we can't be those who ignore that. The hard work of prayer, the hard work of faith, There's blood, sweat, and tears, Jesus did, contending in prayer, keeping going, wrestling. Think Jesus in Gethsemane, the persistent widow who keeps on knocking and praying and asking and seeking, and the door will be opened. Somebody said, we always prefer ASAP prayers. Of course we do, because we like, we're instant society, so we like instant prayers. How about ALAT ones? As long as it takes. As long as it takes. Brother Andrew, amazing saint, 1980s in Leipzig, East Germany, communist East Germany. At that time, of course, in the early 80s, there's loads of fear, oppression of of religious freedoms. And there's this pastor who ironically was called Christian Führer. I didn't know that. He he started prayer meetings for a big sale, for peace in the nation. God, would you move? Would you do what we're talking about this morning? Would you move on this big scale? And do something, and he gathers some others, and the movement kind of continued. They prayed every Monday for seven years and saw nothing. Seven years. There are days when I I can't manage seven minutes. Every Monday, 12 in the first meeting, but then it grew and it grew and it grew, and they persevered and they kept going. By October 1989, on October the 9th, there were 8,000 gathered in what must have been a big building, says in the church, but I guess. Not so long after that, 70,000 had signed up to this prayer movement. The government were threatening to imprison the leaders. They were making all kinds of of hostile noises. Soldiers with guns came to close the whole thing down. But they kept persevering. Hard work, courage. They expected a bit of a bloodbath. But after an hour, they they walked down the street. Some of you know the story. The pastor led the whole crowd down the street to the square, past the headquarters of the secret police. And for some reason, they just couldn't pull the triggers. The soldiers. By the following week, 120,000. A week later, 300,000. That's the moment when the East German president resigned, the communist government collapsed, and four weeks to the day after that, the Berlin Wall came down. Four weeks to the day. Trace it back. Every move of God starts where? With somebody on their knees, recognizing that it's got to be God who can do this. 
But the way that we move God is through the gift that he's given us of interceding. One communist official, by the way, said at the end, we were prepared for everything, but not candles and prayers. Pete Gregg talks about persevering in prayer like being putting down one domino after another. You just keep putting down the dominoes. And you wonder, why on earth aren't the dominoes falling over? Why on earth? Are... Lord, this is really tiring. I've got a really long snake of dominoes right here. And then something happens. And who knows why that's the sovereignty of God? But the one, one, something breaks and the dominoes fall. And you may have your stories of that. I hope that you do. And let's share them and let's read them. Reading, I'm sorry, you can tell me, energized by just reading about this stuff this week. And I know already there's an extra spring in my prayer step. Last one, of course, is faith. Expectation is the word I've used to, to make my sort of four points end in shun. <clears throat> Take a look at that. Expectation, faith. There is a boldness about so much of, of what we read, these kinds of stories, aren't they? And sure, we tell our best stories and they get recorded. I understand that. But there is an underlying current of, of boldness in prayer, of, of expectation, of awareness of who God is, that he is good and he is powerful. And, and, uh, and my way of connecting with him is in interceding. So you're under attack like Hezekiah. You're facing persecution like Peter and John and the, the early ones. You're Daniel going into the lion's den. You're Esther going into the king's palace. You're, you're Hannah in your barrenness. You're, you're David facing Goliath and whatever, whatever. And you're wanting to see moves of God on a big scale. And they prayed with confidence not based on themselves or their experience even to that point, but on what God's character was, what he'd said, what he'd promised. That was the ground on which they stood. Friends, I suspect there were moments where they didn't feel wonderful, but instead of praying according to their feelings, they prayed according to their faith. Speak over myself and all of us in a touchy-feely age, <laughs> so dictated by how I feel. Let us then approach God's throne of grace. How? Hebrews 4. With confidence. Not in us. In him. That we'd receive what we need, what we're asking for. I'm going to end. Oswald Chambers, great saint. The real business of your life is intercessory prayer. Prayer doesn't fit us for the greater works. Prayer is the greater works. Well, I might want to, we might want to contend that there's some... Proclaiming and activity and obedience and, and demonstration involved, but not until we've prayed. Why? Because we get a seat at cabinet. Prayer, prayer gives us a seat at cabinet. It gives us a seat at the place of power around the table with the governor. So if we don't want anything to change, going back to where we began this and our series, God moves where he's wanted. If we don't want anything to change in our hearts, our homes, our children, our groups, our life groups, our streets, our communities, our da, 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 and in the nation, don't pray. But I think we do. And I think God is stirring us with more visions of what he wants to do and putting things on our hearts and things that we're sharing together, not just holding as individuals and connecting us and putting gas under those holy discomforts and cutting through some of our complacency and gearing us up and equipping and preparing us to do some of the hard work of faith, which will be costly and difficult and we won't always feel like it. And we join the disciples in saying, teach us to pray and to cry out with new passion and with motivation and with inspiration and with perspiration and with expectation, the expectation of faith. Lord, build your kingdom, move, move in our time. Amen.